0: Hello everyone and welcome to the sports grid fantasy football podcast you also might be listening to this on the legendary upside feed i am davis Maddock, joined by my friend paris pat pat corain this is our league winner show uh, we did this last year i think we did this the year before as well we are heading into the big labor day draft weekend and as much as we like structure and drafting the right best ball teams and correlating the right way the simplest shortcut to winning your fantasy league, Pat. Is drafting the right players. Drafting the guy who tells the story of the year, whether that be Josh Jacobs last year, whether that be you know Lamar Jackson in 2019, James Robinson in 2020. There's there are always uh, about three guys who will end up sort of being the story of the year. So that is the goal today. We are we are planting our flags on who the guy you need is going to be in 2023. Love it. Love to see it. Um, I'll let you start. I already know your first guy, and I'm gonna agree with him. So I will. Uh, I will seed the pathway to you. You can. You can begin.
1: <laughs> well, I listened to uh, the episode that you had with Daigle, where you're talking through fades, and he, um, he was like, "Look, you know, I've said a lot of things a lot of times this summer, but there's new people here, uh, and that's that's very true. There's a lot of new people listening to these podcasts um, that weren't." in the streets in may you know they had lives going on so i'm going to repeat a few of the guys that um you know you would expect me to say and i'll start i'll start with brees hall i'll start with brees hall who um is just you know when i look through kind of the legendary running back archetype that i that i do um at legendary upside i put out the article on the guys in the first two rounds uh last week and i'm looking there for guys who can hit like 23 ppr points per game who can and, like, truly dominate a fantasy season. And Brees Hall has been the most intriguing guy to me from that framing the entire offseason because he really checks a lot of the boxes that you're looking for there. a second year back, he was extremely efficient as a rusher. Uh, he had the highest rush yards over expected per attempt in NFL Next Gen stuff, which is a metric I really like. Um, he was also extremely efficient as a receiver 2.0 yards per route run which is really really good for a running back the issue is we only got six healthy games from him but when you go and look at like the receiving side of that in those six healthy games I feel like we haven't spent enough time thinking through just how good his receiving role was which was kind of a little bit unknown coming in he was like a solid receiving prospect but not amazing right. He had over five targets per game in those six games. He only caught like 61% of the passes because they're coming from Zach Wilson. Austin Eckler caught 85% of his passes. a so 60% catch rate, so like really low for a running back. I think he actually has like a lot more sneaky receiving value than, than people realize. So it's not just a bet on him returning to full form, although it is that, but it's also a bet on he can actually, I think, get there with like 16 carries per game down the stretch. Like I don't think he needs, like I'm not betting that, that Brees Hall is going to be like a, you know, 20 carry per game absolute workhorse. Like I actually think he'll be fine if he, you know, is kind of a classic lead lead back down the stretch post week seven by with Dalvin Cook kind of as a, you know, a little bit less than a one B, but still in the mix. And if Brees Hall has the goal line touches, which I think makes a lot of sense, given how poor Dalvin Cook was uh, in terms of contact last year and how poor his success rate was while Brees Hall was very, very consistent as a rusher. So I think once healthy, I think he's going to get the goal line work. And then I think he has more receiving upside than people realize, which is one of the things that we need when thinking, OK, yeah, first year back from an ACL, he's probably not going to get an enormous workload.
0: So I, I do agree with this. We took him last night in our NFFC primetime. He is, I think, actually, in a weird way, I think he is even better in home leagues than he is in these high-stakes formats where that that 11-week sprint we're making the playoffs. I mean, you know, because our, our goals are different, right? Right. So the playoffs start a little bit later in home leagues, generally a week later mm-hmm. than they do in the high-stakes format, which uh, does make a difference when Brees Hall might be 11.5 points scored for maybe the first month of the season. Although I do think it, again, a little under-discussed that he did, Brees Hall was practicing with the New York Jets before right. Dalvin Cook, like which feels like yes. maybe we should be talking about that a little bit more. Um, Cutting on
1: the knee. The other thing with, with Brees Hall is just like, I've heard so many times, like, don't you know he his ACL? Don't you know the first year back from the ACL is a problem? I've, but I've heard that, like, from regular people and not the medical experts in the fantasy football community who are all like, yeah, he should be, like, pretty much 100% by week three through week five. Or, you know, maybe there's obviously a range there. But as far as, like, I'm hearing two things, and one of one of the groups knows a lot more than the other group, and the, the knowledgeable group is a lot more optimistic.
0: Yes. So I, Edwin Forrest, uh, who I believe is at fantasy points. he I saw that he tweeted on the 30th that he expects basically by the start of October, Brees should feel good on his knee. He should feel confident in it. Like that would sort of be his target date for sort of full health. I mean, if we look back at Chris Godwin, who suffered a, late, a later season injury than Brees did, Godwin was back in week one. He suffered a compensation injury, but came back from that in two weeks. And Godwin was basically Chris Godwin starting around week five. Michael Gallup was a late ACL tear. He came back in week four. Now, Gallup was really bad. Gallup had the worst season of his career efficiency-wise last year. So that would sort of be your negative case. Um, Brees Hall last year scored 117 PPR points in basically 6.2 games because he got injured in the first quarter after scoring a 62-yard touchdown. He produced uh, 18.9 fantasy points over expected. He was a top 24 running back every week that he played. He was a top 12 running back twice with two games over 20 fantasy points. I, I could not agree more. Also, I'm not like super bullish on the Jets, but one thing that Aaron Rodgers has always done is given easy fantasy points to his running backs mm-hmm. because he is mm-hmm. so good at checking at the line of scrimmage. I mean, you can, you can close your eyes. You can see it in your mind, Aaron Jones or, you know, whoever, they've had a billion of these running backs and the guy runs out in the flat. No one's around him. Cause Rodgers checked off the linebacker. He catches the pass and it's just a free, you know, 1.5 PPR points basically. And that's going to happen multiple times per game. Since we started with a running back, I will choose my running back, which is, of course, going to be Dallas Cowboys running back, Tony Pollard. Um, you know, not everyone's in on this. Sean and Ben on on stealing bananas are not in on this. They they take Waddle and Alave over Tony Pollard. Uh, far be it for me to say that those guys are wrong, but I think they're wrong. Um <laughs> Tony Pollard, if you want to look at fantasy points over expected, I'm not sure there is a better running back in fantasy football at producing fantasy points over expectation than Tony Pollard. Uh, Last season, he scored 248 PPR points on 189 expected points. He has been over fantasy points expectation every year of his career. And last year, with the most volume that he ever got, I think this is the key point. His volume really ramped up last year, both when Zeke was on the field and when Zeke got hurt and he finished first of all running backs and fantasy points over expected, not Christian McCaffrey, not Austin Eckler, not Alvin Kamara, not these guys we've been drafting in the first round for the last five years, but Tony Pollard. So the base case is this, the volume ramps up because Rico Dowdle and Deuce Vaughn are like compliments, but they are not, uh, you know, not the engine like Zeke was the engine, right? I mean, we we remember Pollard getting a lot of work last year, but Ezekiel Elliott got a lot of touches last season. Like even when even though he missed three games, he got 231 carries and 23 targets in the passing game for 248 touches. And Tony Pollard did not even get that many touches and finishes the running. I believe the running back nine in PPR and. I think there are a couple ways he gets there. The first being he keeps up the sick efficiency and and scores these touchdowns from outside of the green and the red zone, which I expect to happen. But the other thing is, I do think there is certainly a chance that they franchise tag him and they're like, we'll see what happens, right? If he, if he holds up great, if he doesn't hold up, that's also fine. We'll, we'll move on. We'll trade for Jonathan Taylor. We'll, we'll do whatever next season because the Cowboys love to have a marquee running back. So I think there is a chance for a 280 carry 95 target style season for Tony Pollard, just based off there's, we're not saving him for anything at this point we franchise tagged him and it is what it is. So I, and then obviously the legendary upside case would be they do the insane volume because they don't care if he gets hurt or they don't care if this is his last year as a Cowboy and he retains the fantasy points over expectation. I think Pollard, we uh I did a main event on Tuesday night with uh Evan Silva, Pat Thorman, Retriebar, and JJ Zacharyson And we were going to take him at eight. Um well, we ended up we ended up getting him in the second round. So it was it, it you know, it ended up working out because we took Cooper Cup, but we were all agreed that actually we felt comfortable taking Tony Pollard at eight. Um he is my he is my number one flag plant on the year.
1: Yeah, I love this one. Uh he was he came out as a target for me in the legendary uh, upside article, I think, you know, when I'm looking kind of at the, at the way that these guys can produce like truly league winning seasons, it's all, maybe it's like the opposite of the way you might kind of do projections in some sense. Like I, I care most about like the efficiency and the access to the really high value touches. Like how is your, probably the most important thing is how clear of a path do you have to, to four plus receptions per game to actually be used like in an elite way as a receiver. He has that for sure. You know, in a way that like guys going around him, Nick Chubb, like, I don't know, I don't think Nick Chubb has it. I expect him to get more work, but, but not like that. Pollard's kind of there, you know, and they're going to be hopefully feeding him a little bit more that way this year with Zeke gone. I think you're going to see some Zeke pass routes replaced by, or sorry, Zeke pass protections replaced by Tony Pollard passing routes and he's actually going to have a chance to earn more volume on those snaps than Zeke did because Zeke was almost used like a fullback at times like he's just like a pass blocker
0: well if you if you really want to get in the weeds their tight ends all profile as blocking tight ends other than Hendershot but but Sean McKeon and Jake Ferguson profile more not that Jake Ferguson is a bad pick where he goes so you instead of having the running back do the pass blocking you have the tight end be the be the sixth blocker
1: that yeah that would make sense to me I mean and again like not probably not always but some so there's like probably understated receiving upside for the back in this offense and then Pollard was being used as a receiver anyway and then when you look at the goal line stuff Ezekiel Elliott had a borderline elite goal line role last year he was seeing 1.8 green zone opportunities per game that's opportunities within the 10 yard line when I'm looking for these legendary seasons I want a path to, to two plus of those so like Pollard only had one, but Zeke almost had two. And so it's like, hey, get half of what Zeke had and you're going to be in really good shape. And maybe, you know, if you can get a little more than what Zeke had, which would make sense, given that let's like Rico Dowdles, they're number two then all of a sudden it's like... That's
0: ah. also understated, which is that they don't have a third running... Like, Deuce Vaughn will be a little bit annoying. Like, I think he'll get your classic sort of schemed type stuff. But Deuce Vaughn is not going to be trusted in pass protection, and he's really not going to be trusted at the goal line, I don't think.
1: No. And that's... I mean, so that's the thing, right? It's like, if Pollard has the access to a lot of receiving work and goal line work, and he's super efficient, and then it's like, oh, no, but is he going to get enough carries from the 40-yard line? Like, I don't care. I don't care, you know? Yeah, maybe there'll be a few disappointing games along the way. Um, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit more up and down if you're betting on efficiency and stuff. But ultimately, like, the guys who can put up those massive week-winning games on a somewhat regular basis, like, it's because they have access to touchdowns, receptions, and they're awesome. And, and Pollard really checks those boxes.
0: He does. I think that, I think that, I mean, I always said, that if zeke were to ever get injured in the preseason or you know just whatever in years past with tony pollard that he would be a first round pick so it does seem insane to me that the market is letting you get him in the mid-second like you can that you can take a stud wide receiver and then take tony pollard like i don't know it feels like feels like he and Bijan are a coin flip right it really does but when you're taking Bijan, that second player you take is often of uh you know a, a you know, it's a waddle. It's an a It's a guy with, with more question marks than you would get with who you uh get with Pollard.
1: And yeah, I think like, I probably have a little bit of best ball brain with Pollard where we're used to these running backs, just like sitting there for, in the middle rounds for us at values that make it harder to start your draft with a running back. But I think in managed leagues and home leagues and, and leagues where, you know, you're probably going to have to pay up a little bit more for, you know, guy like a Josh Jacobs or Armandre Stevenson or whatever Pollard becomes more appealing to me. And I feel like I can probably beat you with like Traylon Burks and, you know, some of the other receivers later on that I like. Um, So just grabbing that, that running back who has access to a massive ceiling that you really can't get later, I think makes even more sense in home leagues.
0: Yep. All right. So there we go. We got our running backs out of the way. Uh, Your, your, uh, your next league winner is whom?
1: Uh, Mark Andrews. So I I wrote,
0: he, he, he was on, he was on my list too. So I'll let, I'll let you do this.
1: I wrote an article called Mark Andrews checks all the boxes. And, uh, and you know, it was about kind of what I'm looking for in tight ends and, you know, things that maybe we should be focusing on, you know, a little bit more than people normally do. And also just, I think the tight end position is so interesting because, it's like we're looking for guys who essentially play wide receiver while also playing this other position where they have to, like, block guys a lot, like, regularly and well, you know, so the run the run game can operate the way teams want it to. Um, and that's, that's important for them playing enough snaps. You know, it's important for them being out there on play action, which I was kind of shocked to discover is actually, like, a huge part of touchdown target and touchdown upside, um, which, you know, then you're like, oh, yeah we've all seen the plays where, you know, some random huge tight end scores a touchdown because he's, he's out there for the play action snaps. Um, So you want, you want guys with access to those, that running play stuff, that play action stuff. Mark Andrews has that yet. He is like an elite wide receiver in terms of his ability to get open per ESPN's open score. I mean, he's, he's up there with the very top guys. And now we look at a Ravens offense. That's going to be more aggressive, you know, with the Todd Munkin shift, I think everyone expects them to pass more. Um, I, you know, they expect themselves to pass more. You know, they're moving from an offense where the, the Greg Roman was saying, like, we are like basically a, a Stone Age offense. Like he was like yes. proud of how kind of backwards they were. That's not the case anymore. Now, they have added target competition. The, the biggest knock that I've seen on Mark Andrews is, look, they've added Odell Beckham. They've added Zay Flowers. You got Rashad Bateman coming back there just aren't enough targets here. But I I think that's very disrespectful to Mark Andrews, who has been an absolute, truly elite route runner. And the other thing is they they run plays with him in mind. He gets a ton of first-read targets. He's a clear connection with Lamar Jackson. The idea that, like, somehow Odell Beckham's going to come in here and displace Mark Andrews as the number one target in the offense, I'm very skeptical of that. But the other thing is, like, I don't need Mark Andrews to have the absurd target share, the absurd target per route run that he's had in years past because they're going to pass more. They're probably going to score more touchdowns. It's going to be an offense that we want to be invested in. And what he allows you to do is invest in a breakout offense. You get the number one wide receiver in that offense but he has tight end eligibility and you're getting that in the third round. It's just, it's kind of crazy to me. I, he's been, he's been someone I've been hammering all off season.
0: I, I actually have been, I mean, I started out really liking him, but as the two, three turn has gotten more disgusting, as we have drafted more on, like when it becomes Calvin Ridley or Mark Andrews, Um, actually last night we took t higgins instead of taking mark andrews in in the prime time and i honestly would probably would have preferred now it ended up working out because we got a good price on kyle pitts who if i Mm -hmm. wasn't a coward kyle pitts would be on my list but i don't i'm too much of a coward like the argument for kyle pitts is so clear which is that if he runs a full complement of routes and arthur's really i don't actually think even the people who hate kyle pitts doubt that he's good i i actually think it's literally all about just not wanting to be frustrated by his coach so for Andrews, last year was the only season of his career where he wasn't really the most efficient tight end in football other than, you know, Kelsey Kittle or these other guys. It was actually the only year that he was below average in fantasy points above expectation, but but it came with 191 points in 15 games. Uh, actually, if you sort by uh, most fantasy points per game of all time, Mark Andrews uh, has the fifth highest scoring tight end fantasy game of all time and it came with tyler huntley at quarterback he also has the 20th highest uh fantasy point performance ever like we're talking about a guy who can score in bunches i am not at all persuaded by the argument that the increased target competition is bad Um, I find the same thing true with the Eagles. Like people are talking about the passing volume. I will trade volume for efficiency. Like I actually don't care if Mark Andrews only sees 120 targets this year, because I'm going to guess that that is a huge reflection of the Ravens passing game being as efficient as it was in 2019 Uh, in 2019. Mark Andrews was 22 years old and he scored 160 points, 50 points above expectation in like a really low volume passing offense Lamar Jackson through 396 passes if Lamar gets oh. to 450 attempts this year with this efficiency that we are expecting and look, let's say Bateman doesn't suffer a reoccurrence of this foot injury and let's say Odell plays like the Rams version of Odell and Aguilar is like a, a good complementary fourth wide receiver like I actually think the Ravens can score the most points in the NFL. I, I think I think they can, um, which transitions nicely to my next league winner, which is Lamar Jackson. No one, I mean, it's very, it's very in vogue right now to be like, oh, you know, Lamar, uh, he never he never plays, you know, he's always he's always injured in December. He he only plays 10 games, he only plays 12 games. So he only even had that if, one good year. He only had that one good year. So if you remove the 2019 MVP season. Lamar Jackson still has the most fantasy points uh most games with over 40 fantasy points in football, so more than Herbert, more than Mahomes, more than Josh Allen's actually never had a 40 game uh which is weird. Fields actually has two, which is very funny just because it does show how much rushing is important.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: It's a huge bet, uh it's a huge bet on um the new offensive coordinator todd munkin which i'm extremely comfortable making um it's also a bet on bateman staying healthy but like i mean these guys who are running routes for the ravens last season i do feel like maybe it's a little bit under discussed who the ravens wide receivers have been um the last two years they're leading these were the guys who led uh the team and targets after mark andrews the last two years so last year demarcus robinson 75 targets Isaiah likely a rookie tight end gets 60 Devin DuVernay gets 49 Kenyon Drake and Josh Oliver each got 26 that was the offense last year in 2021 Hollywood Brown stays healthy <clears throat> he's really good he gets 146 but after that Sammy Watkins Devin DuVernay Devonta Freeman James Proche I mean we're we're talking about an offense that just is without talent like is using creative players like Willie Sneed and and Tyson Williams and Tylen Wallace, like like US. They're doing remember counts. this
1: guy, but with their starting with, receivers. <laughs> remember really, Willie Sneed? We're remember starting.
0: Willie Sneed? Remember Chris Moore? <laughs> remember Nick Boyle? Like it, it it. I just I really think Lamar has been in one of the least functional systems. And Greg Roman, by the way. Every team he's, this is Greg Roman. He did this with Tyrod. He did this in in multiple spots. What would always happen with Greg Roman is he would come in and he would get a very good handle on what the player was able to do to begin with. And he would get them in a really functional offense, but then he wouldn't change anything. So he did this in San Francisco. He did this in Buffalo and he did this in Baltimore every year. He was there. The first year would be the best year. The team would also be, like, insanely run-heavy. Greg Roman offenses, these are where they – he has never had an offense that has been worse than ninth in rush attempts, and he's had a team that was top three in rush attempts, seven of his nine years calling plays. Like, the dude loves to run the ball, which is not to say the Ravens are going to be this air raid, you know, like, they're not going to turn into the Chiefs. Like, but I expect it to be much closer to, let's say – 55-45 55-45 run to pass the or something type like of, that type of sure job. and I think I just I don't I don't think the market has really captured how dramatic of a difference that could be like if Lamar gets to 500 passing attempts he's scoring the most points in fantasy football straight up I I like I would I would take a conditional bet on that where if Lamar plays 17 games and throws 500 passes no player scores more fantasy points than him and I actually think This I actually think if Lamar had not missed these games, if Lamar had just played 17 games or 16 games every year of his career, I actually think he would be the first quarterback off the board. I think he would go ahead of Mahomes, Allen and hurts. And you're just getting a huge discount on that. And look, if he gets hurt, you you wasted your pick. I'm sorry. Like it is. It is what it is. But that's true of anybody. And I don't think Lamar. I don't think Lamar is is any more likely to get injured than Patrick Holmes, who actually did has been injured twice. He's injured his knee and he's injured his ankle. He played through it, but I don't like. I just don't think he's. I don't think there's anything of, that makes Lamar specially, um you know, out there to get hurt. Basically.
1: Well, this is this is another thing that um, I've heard Evan Porras talk about. Of like, you know, are these guys more likely to get injured as running quarterbacks? Like, is Lamar more likely to get hurt? you know, than than Mahomes or any of these other potential star quarterbacks. And the answer seems to be like, probably not. So like, again, it's like, don't you know, Lamar's just going to get hurt. You know, there's like, anytime I can fade kind of with the dumber narratives, to be honest, like I want to fade those <laughs> and Lamar, like, don't you know, he's going to get hurt. You know, like the Brees hall, don't you know, it tore his ACL is like a legitimate thing. Like he did tear his ACL and, it will have some impact on a season. How much of an impact we can discuss? But Lamar Jackson, don't you know he's gonna get hurt? It's just <laughs> kind of kind of silly, you know. So I, I definitely want to be on the other side of that one.
0: It I mean, it is, it is fear-based drafting. It's don't don't you know Christian McCaffrey's gonna get injured? Oh, he's the highest scoring player in fantasy. Don't you know? Uh, I don't know. There's been there's been a million of these guys where it's been, don't you know he's gonna get hurt and then he doesn't get hurt and then he wins you your yep. league? I just think now uh michael thomas don't you know michael thomas is going to get hurt I, michael thomas hasn't played a full season since before the novel coronavirus like I, that is not nearly as persuasive <laughs> to me you know but I, look i could be wrong my if you told me michael thomas stays healthy for 17 games i'm gonna feel like a fucking dickhead for not drafting him at wide receiver 46 all year you know
1: well there's sort of a to me the difference is is michael thomas good anymore like Michael Thomas is getting older. I haven't seen him be like at all close to, you know, he's barely been out there, but, but when we have seen him, it's not like we're always oh, Michael Thomas when we've seen Lamar, like Lamar's still Lamar. So that's what like the fear with Lamar, I think it's truly just comes down to, can he stay healthy? Whereas Thomas, it's like, what are we getting?
0: Yes, correct. Um, all right. So there we go. We covered the Baltimore Ravens. That is, uh, that is three of my list knocked out I just think I think the Ravens are probably the skeleton key to fantasy this year where if they stink if they're if they run back if you know if if uh, uh, Tyrone Huntley and Anthony Brown and Josh Johnson are involved then we're we're gonna be feeling sad and if Lamar stays healthy for 17 games and Todd Munkin is who we think he is I think that like to me the Ravens being the Josh Jacobs of this season like feels like pretty likely we're like we look back on 2023 and we just say mm-hmm. Yeah. If you drafted Mark Andrews or Lamar or Zay flowers or Bateman or whoever, like that's what you needed to win your league.
1: Yeah. My, my debate with Andrews was whether or not to do him or Bateman. Cause I, I like the Ravens so much. And I think Bateman, you know, you're getting this discount where it's like, you're getting this injury discount, but he's like practicing now. And I don't like, he's not hurt, but there's still an injury discount for some reason. So uh, yeah, I, I want to be invested in the Ravens. I've I've taken some Zay Flowers. Uh, I've even taken some Odell Beckham, which I didn't think I was going to be doing, but I have. I've, I love J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins is a, is very well priced this year. Um, he's in the sixth round of best ball drafts. I don't know, maybe in home leagues he's he's jumping up a little higher. But yeah, I, I want to be invested in the Ravens.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So that was Lamar Jackson was my next one. What is your next one? Is it is it Jackson Smith and Jigba?
1: Yeah, let's go ahead and do Jackson Smith and Jigba. So I he was...
0: he wasn't on my list just because I knew you were gonna do it.
1: Yeah, and I feel like we we kind of had some debates early in the offseason about just how good of a of a prospect he even was. I've been more bullish on him uh, as a prospect. I do think that kind of one of the keys to a league winner, though, is price, you know, and when you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, like he was on his way these best ball tournaments, he's steaming up, you know, he was in kind of the the fifth, sixth rank, fifth, you know, five, six turn, but then he started steaming up to where, you know, he's going to be kind of an early fifth, but then he broke his wrist. And that created a necessary discount. Um, and it also, I think gave people the heebie-jeebies of like, I'm Crack uh, rock called him, you know, broken arm Jackson. Uh, or, or whatever broken arm. Well, uh, well what it yeah, did, Jackson.
0: what it did was it, it, it just the irrational, the, the irrational exuberance of being like, Oh my God, this guy's going to be an 80% route participation week one. Is it, it just brought, yeah. it, it's just splash cold water on that basically.
1: Exactly. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that we're seeing him at practice now, I think he's going to be out there pretty early on in the season. And ultimately, like you are drafting a rookie wide receiver. So you're drafting him more for the back half of the of the year anyway. And now he's going to cost you like maybe two rounds less than he would have before. And that late season bet is fully intact. And honestly, like he looks like he's already like he just is kind of flashing the signs of a star receiver comes in. They're like immediately like, yeah, this guy's an absolute professional with just kind of the nuances of the playbook. DK Metcalf is really impressed talking him up and he's earning targets at a super high rate in preseason. I don't know, like, I don't think he's going to be, you know, running all the routes right away, especially dealing with the wrist injury, but I think his target per route run is going to be absurd. Like I think when he gets out there, he's going to get open right away, which is his whole profile is that he's going to, he can get open super quickly and he's great after the catch. And Geno Smith loves targeting, you know, in that short to intermediate area. He's very accurate to that part of the field. It's a perfect fit for Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I, I just think like we're getting, it's not the Jamar Chase bet. You know, we'll probably never get that level of bet again. But it's reminiscent where we had, you know, when Jamar Chase came in, we had previously gotten Justin Jefferson entering the league and showing that he was an absolute superstar. We didn't get an additional season from Jamar chase in college that year, but we did get new information that the guy he was playing with was amazing. Was a stud. And he was, yeah. And he was, he was holding steady with that guy. He was actually outproducing him at LSU uh, at a year younger with Jackson Smith and Jigba, We didn't get a 2022 season, but he was amazing playing next to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And last year, We got information that both those guys are NFL level studs. I just like he's not going to be as good as Jamar Chase, but like, so what? (laughs) Like, I still want to. I still want this guy on my team. You know, in the sixth, seventh round right now with the with the wrist injury discount, and you know, yeah, he's maybe there's there's weeks where he doesn't have enough targets because DK Metcalf is also very good and Tyler Lockett is also very good, and the Seahawks aren't going to pass a ton. But as a bet on talent play, now at a reduced price, it just makes too much sense.
0: So I think he is extra valuable in home leagues now because – home league drafters are just even though home leagues and espn adp sleeper adp it's like all better than it used to be although i think bateman is still like 170th overall on espn and there's some guys i my home I'm changing the
1: bateman I'm changing the bateman
0: <laughs> my my home my home league is on sleeper and there are some guys who were like way buried in the rankings like i think sky Moore is like 130th overall on, on stuff like that um but the ability now, the, the crucial thing is that you can draft JSN now outside of your starting lineup, where that was not possible before. When you had to take him in the fifth round, when you had to take him in the sixth round, it was a much different bet. Now that you can take him in the seventh, uh, did, we got him in the, did we get him in the eighth last night? Did we? No, no, that we took him impossible. early. We took him early. Yeah. We took him early because We took him in the us. sixth. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, but still outside of our starting lineup, because uh, we are going to probably start Jacoby Myers week one, which is whatever it's, it's fine to do that. But in formats where you can get him in the eighth round, I completely agree. I think he is the best bet of the rookie wide receivers this year to have the second half spike. I think he's probably the best rookie wide receiver. But also, it's, it'll be a natural thing where I would expect Lockett's role to decrease as the year, which I do obviously still really like Tyler Lockett. I think he is a, a phenomenally good bet where he goes, but I would say on the balance of probability, he's more likely to do his scoring at the beginning of the year. JSN is more likely to do his scoring later in the year. I actually was kind of out on JSN at his underdog price when he was going like ahead of Deontay Johnson, like when he, like when JSN was like the wide receiver 28 for like a week, I just was not taking any of him. And I was taking Tyler Lockett and I was taking a lot of Tyler Lockett. Now that the prices have reversed, I am doing the other thing uh, through 321 teams. I've got 19% Lockett, but I am now up to 15% JSN. Whereas I was nice. closer to to below market on JSN, beforehand so i'm i'm with you uh also i mean like some some leagues like you know um for shallow starting lineup leagues like if your home league is one quarterback two running back two wide receiver tight end and a flex i like him even better in that format because he's like a great priority now if your league is three wide receiver Plus a flex or two wide receiver, two flex, like I think you should downgrade him appropriately because you're probably not going to want to start him. My guess is the earliest you'd want to start JSN is week three. And even that might be stretching it a little bit. So you got to be pretty aware of your like league format and league settings and everything. But I mean, if you're if, main event, seventh round, eighth round, I think he is a I think he's a really good pick there. Uh all right. I'm gonna throw you a curveball. I bet you would not have had this one. On my list, uh but now that Kadarius Tony is the wide receiver forty-nine, I love it. I don't. I really don't see an argument against taking him at this price. Was he a fucking awful sixth-round pick? Absolutely. I mean, he really. And yep. I only took him in those circumstances with Patrick Mahomes or with Joe Burrow, like when it was needed for a game stack. But now that he is going after Traylon Burks, Rashad Bateman, like. I like Sky Moore. I think Sky Moore is fine where he goes, but the 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 amount of times this season plays out where Sky Moore is the guy you need to have, I think is like one in a million. But if you told me the Chiefs' plan with Kadarius Tony is we're gonna let him get we're gonna let him get healthy in camp, we're maybe not even gonna throw a ton at him early on in the season, but the only when we look at this wide receiver room, the only guy we think who can be what Tyreek Hill was for us, which is like a true engine of the offense. It's not even Justin Ross. I like wish casting on Justin Ross the way everyone else does. Like, it's fun. But Tony has demonstrated a real ability to be a game breaker in the NFL. And yeah, he only ran five fucking routes in the Super Bowl. But guess what? He scored a touchdown, and he almost scored a punt return touchdown on seven touches. You know, like, he is a game-breaking fucking dynamite athlete. And maybe he just spends his entire career getting injured because the way he moves his body like he like it's it's almost like his it's almost like his body is faster than his brain the way he gets hurt like it would make sense to get a soft tissue injury if you're that herky-jerky but he is going to be the only Chiefs wide. Are you receiver. saying that
1: like defenders don't know where Kadarius Tony's going because he doesn't know where he's going? Because he
0: doesn't know where he's going. Yes, literally. <laughs> I like. I think. I think that literally might be a thing. If you, wa- if you watch the punt return, if you watch the punt return in the Super Bowl, he like goes left to right like three times in one second. It's it's insane. If Tony gets, let's even say seventy percent route participation, I mean that it like with Patrick Mahomes in sort of that gadgety end around jet, you know, like kind of like a combination of the Tyree kill and the McCall Hardman role. Yeah. That's what where... I was going to
1: say. It's, it's sort of, it's not Tyree kill exactly. Cause what it's early Tyree kill. It's like the early when we, when he was uh you know, first showing up as like a DFS dart throw kind of guy, not, not the superstar wide receiver version. It's like that more than, you know, the, with a classic Tyreek Hill. So in a sense, it's more easy to think through the Miko Hart. It's like Miko Hartman plus. Ty-
0: Tyreek Hill's second year, 105 targets, 17 rushes, 1,200 yards, and seven touchdowns. That is, that is I think in the range of outcomes for what Kadari, and he did that on 80% of snaps, not 90%, not 85, yeah. like yeah. not, you know, like not a ton. I think now obviously, I don't think that is the most likely scenario i'm not drafting tony all the time but again very similar to the actually extremely similar to the jsn bet, just even cheaper actually like 15 spots cheaper i do think there is no wide receiver going in that range with even close to that ceiling i mean we've actually seen a ceiling in the nfl from Kadarius stoney now he got ejected from a game he got injured but like tony's per route stuff and per snap stuff is on par with any other wide receiver in fantasy football and sure maybe you cut him maybe he is maybe he is total dead weight but comparing him to Cortland sutton elijah moore and then the guys who go behind him i mean dobbs beckham boyd smith schuster collins zay jones i mean it's not even close it's it's not even the range of outcomes is is not even in the same stratosphere
1: in like a home league like especially you know if i've got Two wide receiver spots and a flex to fill wide receiver. Like, I don't think I would draft a single one of the guys going behind him. Like, even like Dobbs. I just I, like, no thanks. I'm just gonna, what, I'm what gonna is take the practice point? at running back or something. Yeah. What, what is what does Romeo
0: Dobbs do for your team in your home league? Like nothing.
1: Yeah. Like if I've if I've got two flexes to fill and it's PPR and you know, it's I'm facing grinders, like I, maybe I can talk myself into Dobbs, but I still want Tony. And then when you get in the home league settings where Ceiling matters even more floor doesn't matter as much. I think Tony is an awesome pick. I've been kind of shocked that I've been able to be bullish on Tony late in the summer here, because I thought Tony was a horrendous pick in the sixth round, even in the early seventh. I was like, "Eh." but I, I thought I understood what was happening. I thought that people were going, I know it's risky but the ceiling here is just too juicy. We have to price in the ceiling. And then he suffers a minor knee injury. He's at risk of missing like a game or two and potentially might, like potentially might not miss any games. People have mocked me anytime I've said that, but like it is in the range of outcomes actually that doesn't miss a single. Game. I, I
0: actually think, I actually think he's not going to miss any games. He avoided, he's off the pup. He's not on the short term IR. I guess maybe. I, I guess teams are still putting guys on the short term IR, so maybe it could happen. But right. they, as of right now, we are recording. It's Thursday, August thirty first, nine fifty two Central Time. The Chiefs have seven wide receivers, and probably Ross will be a scratch week one. I I would. I I don't know. I don't know. I think one of them might be a scratch. Maybe it's Tony. Maybe Tony is the scratch because they mm-hmm. say we want one more week for you to get healthy. But. Gretch wrote about this in stealing signals on Wednesday, which is they might've just been saving him. They might've just said, don't take any hits. We don't need you to play in the preseason games. We know what you can do. It's week one. Let's go win a football game. Let's go score 35 points and let's give you eight targets and, and two carries or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've just been, I've been a little confused by the reaction to the injury, which again was minor and might not cost him much time because, Weren't we drafting this guy for the ceiling all along? Like he was in. He's always had a super low floor. He played five snaps in the Super Bowl. He's like never been able to put it together, ever. Like his college career was a mess. His he's like a bet on pure athleticism, football athleticism, and Patrick Mahomes getting this dude the ball. Like that's the bet. It's a high ceiling bet, you know from. I mean, and honestly, the ceiling in the sixth round was even like uh, somewhat priced in because you're sort of betting he becomes this number one wide receiver, which was always like a little thin. But the ceiling when you're taking a guy like right before Alan Lazard is pretty massive. You know, he's got way, way more ceiling to to slot him into your lineup and feel good about it. And I think you'll know when to start him, right? Like he's that. He gets I think out that's, there.
0: that's the biggest key. Cause I think in your head, like I think people listening to this are like taking their AirPods out and they're like, yeah, I remember having McCall Hardman on my team. It was awful. I never right. wanted, I never wanted to start him. I don't think it's the same thing
1: because it's Tony's actually,
0: Tony's actually good. Hardman was never good. So if we, if week one, Hardman just
1: lost a job to Randall Cobb, like
0: <laughs> Hardman just lost his job to Randall Cobb. Like, if Tony comes out in week one and even plays, let's even say half the snaps, literally half the snaps. Yeah. Yeah. You're starting him. You're starting him. You're starting week two. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Which is a, and and so, yeah, you're going to have signal. Like, is he playing? How many snaps is he playing? Is he earning targets like we think? And I mean, he's going to actually, I think in a weird way, I think he's going to be a comfy start for a lot of this season. He's probably going to miss five games for something. And that's going to suck. But you know, you'll, you'll enjoy putting him in your lineup when it's time to put him in your lineup.
0: So like, for example, this is, I can't even believe this sentence. I'm about to say he played one game for the Kansas city chiefs where he played over 32% of the snaps. He played 44% of the snaps against the Jaguars, five targets, 57 receptions, a touchdown, two rushes for 33 yards. I mean, just like, give me 10 games of that at wide receiver 49.
1: Yes. I mean, that's a, that's such a smash. Yeah yeah
0: and i know that tony very much falls in the category of kyle pitts where like no one wants to admit they like him and that their bags are packed and you know maybe a reasonable person could say it's focusing too much on upside whatever but i do i just think that i i guess my base case is i think tony's good and i think it's kind of like yada yada like you know yeah aren't you worried and i i i mean sure i am worried i'm worried about everything but Tony playing 70% of the snaps for the chiefs. He finishes as a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy. Like I think that I feel pretty confident about yeah. that.
1: Yeah. It's, we want to make bets where, you know, more of the downside is priced in than the upside. And it was the reverse when he was going in the sixth, you know, you're paying a big premium for that upside. Cause you're taking on a ton of risk, but now it's weighted to the upside. I think pretty clearly.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Your, your last one, it, this is your, you have, you have only one more, right? Uh, two more, right? Okay. I've All done right, three. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: All right. I'm going to do one. I'm not sure you're going to love this one. Uh, I'm going to do Drake London. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't
0: love this one. I mean, I I'm not going to disagree with anything you're about to say, but if this happens, I, I'm going to have a bad time.
1: <laughs> so sometimes like fans football is a, a simple game, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be that complicated. We have a guy who was drafted very highly in the NFL draft eighth overall pick, right? And uh, he comes in and immediately is super efficient, 2.07 yards per route run. Uh, He rates well in ESPN's open score. Matt Harmon wrote glowingly about his ability to get open. He was supposed to be a guy who separates pretty easily, kind of in the intermediate area, like a possession receiver, a guy who can earn targets. um, Is kind of a classic like X number one, big bodied guy. That's exactly what he turns out to be. And We are not interested in him because we'd rather take his teammate who has tight end eligibility. That's fundamentally the case against Drake London is that he feels a little expensive to me compared to his teammate because his teammate is a tight end. That's not really a case against Drake London. That's just a reason that
0: the case against all Falcons players is simply just that we think their coach won't use them optimally. Like everyone thinks Drake London and Bijan and Kyle Pitts are very good. There are actually people who think Ritter is pretty decent. It's it's just all centered on what we think their head coach is
1: a moron. Right. I don't think he's a moron. I think he is committed towards to, to establishing the run and that he is going to do that again this year. But I also think he was committed to not letting Marcus Mariota get him fired. And I think he's going to be opening up the offense compared to what we saw under Mariota, and the reason I feel that way is because that is what he did when he had Desmond Ritter under center. Desmond Ritter, in the last four games of last season, was uh, 13th uh, in attempts, and Drake London was 6th among uh, all players in targets over the final four weeks of last season, tied with CeeDee Lamb. I don't think they're ever going to be passing a lot, but the bet here is a potentially elite wide receiver, right? Cause you're looking at a guy who was a great prospect early to clear, very productive, awesome draft position, comes in super efficient as a rookie takes that second year leap and a very well-priced second year leap. I think that, that we're getting here because of the concerns about the offensive volume. And he absolutely dominates targets in his second year because he's, he's who's his target competition besides Pitts, Mac Hollins. Like, it's crazy. Like he's he's going to absolutely dominate targets. I literally if he's the guy don't, we think he can be.
0: I don't even know who the third wide receiver is for the Falcons. This is a good game. Okay. Who do you think the third wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons is? I'll tell you who our lads has it listed as.
1: It's not Zacchaeus cuz he he's, an, he's, he's an eagle. He's an, he's eagle. an eagle. Uh I I actually have no idea.
0: One of our I mean speaking of short king summer, Kadarrell Hodge, the smallest guy in the NFL oh right gosh. now, is listed, is listed as their, their third wide receiver. Now, obviously, I think a big part of their offense is gonna be Johnny Smith and Michael Pruitt in there, you know, sure. blocking and which doing is, things. that's
1: good for London, though. Like that, good for
0: London. Maybe not as something, good for um, maybe not as good for Pitts.
1: You you had on one of your pods, um who was it? Tej was was on and was saying. Yeah, that that's yards per hour and you adjust yards per hour on and, and Hayden Winks has talked about this too. You adjust yards per hour on for the personnel and um, you know, basically London is sort of less efficient really in reality because he gets to compete against you know tight ends more than a guy like Jerry Judy, but I don't care about reality. I care about my fantasy team and he's going to be doing that again this year. He's going to be competing for targets against Michael Pruitt against Johnny Smith. I love that for him. <laughs> I really do. <laughs>
0: Your upside would be the 2020 Tennessee Titans. Um, They were, let's see here. They were uh, 16th in yards gained. No, no, that's not true. They were second in yards on offense. They were fourth in points. They had the second most rushing attempts and the 30th most passing attempts. But that season, Tannehill had 33 passing touchdowns. I mean, I don't think Ritter can get there. I think if Ritter gets to 24, we are fucking ecstatic
1: we're 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 very happy
0: (laughs) but aj brown had 70 receptions a thousand yards and 11 touchdowns 92 targets for Corey davis 65 targets for johnny smith so you kind of middle that you give like 95 to kyle pitts and then you just sort of segment that out around that year derrick henry only saw 31 targets but jeremy mcnichols saw 17 so you give like 50 to Bijan and then just everyone else on the offense is totally whoever and that is a very functional offense where all three of their players that go inside the top 80 picks pay off by quite a bit
1: yeah And I mean because pitch has fallen so much I think you can kind of make cases for you know a couple of these guys to hit together all three of them hitting together feels a little thin just because there's not going to be that much volume but I want, like I'm drafting Bijan, I'm drafting Pitts, I'm drafting London. Um, I'm probably going to get hurt by at least one of them, but I don't, I don't think that like we should ignore London, which is just feels like we kind of collectively have a little bit. We're we're just not as excited about him because he's the wide receiver. There's other wide receivers we like in that range. He isn't super, super cheap. But I mean, it's a—it's such an easy bet as a, on a second-year breakout and a guy who can absolutely dominate targets.
0: Yeah, I um, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. I just, I like Hope Kyle Pitts. <laughs> I like, I like Kyle Pitts better. I think Kyle Pitts is a better yeah. positional bet, and I don't really want very many teams where I have those two players together because I think it is a low volume offense that is unlikely to provide the spike weeks together that you would need so for example a a three-week sprint on one of these best ball sites i maybe they ping pong weeks and you get you know a lower advance rate higher ceiling guy but i think in the vast majority it's one or the other that ends for best ball specifically that ends up being the winner and in a home league I don't really want to be starting two Falcons either. Like if I take Bijan, I'm probably not taking Kyle Pitts. If I take Drake London, I'm probably not taking Kyle Pitts. If I take Kyle Pitts, like, and I guess honestly, what I'm doing is I'm building my draft backwards thinking, I think this is a good team for me to take Kyle Pitts. So I'm not taking Drake London, but I don't, the the upside scenarios for both of them are very similar. Other than that, I have no concerns over Drake London, Snap Share. Drake London, Snap Share. That's a big be, part of it. Yeah, we'll be we'll be
1: completely locked in. So exactly. And I mean, look, I mean, we all know that pits is a risky pick, you know, because and not least because how many routes is he even going to run, you know, he might not be used in some of the, the traditional run blocking stuff. And he's going to be kind of a big receiver, which is can, can be fun, but it can be annoying, too, if you're not out there on all the snaps. And it's like, hey, what happens in those scenarios where, where Pitts fails? Like, how many of the times where Pitts fails is London not an absolute smash? So yes. I I, I also like Pitts. I, I don't and I don't really love taking London and Pitts together on on the same team. But I tell you what, like Pitts fallen so far that if I had London in a home league and Pitts was just sitting there for me in the eighth round, I I'd probably take him too.
0: Yeah. I mean, like what is, is Kyle Pitts at tight end eight in the like, or tight end seven, I guess, depending on where Ingram goes, like, is he really going to be even like, even in a world where he only plays 50% of the snaps or whatever, like, is he really going to be Christ. that much worse than Dalton Schultz? Like, I don't know, probably not like really, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: So it is uh, another one. All right. Uh, my final one is Deandre Swift. I, I've i been fully Swift build. Um I think you can make an argument for any of the Eagles running backs on this list. I think it could be Penny. I think it could be Gainwell. I think Swift is the best player of the three. Swift is most likely to get the high value touches both in the passing game and at the goal line. I actually expect no one... I haven't heard very many people put their name to this, but actually to start the season, I think Gainwell will be the goal line back because the Eagles kind of do some intricate stuff at the goal line, and he's been on the team the longest. He understands the blocking schemes. He's going to have the best zone read chemistry with Hertz, you know like i actually think that's maybe a little no no one really would think about that with a running quarterback but gainwell is going to be most comfortable with the offense that they run and with their play calling at the goal line but and, and this is well-worn territory swift is the best yards before contact runner in the nfl he played 38 of the snaps after returning from injury last year and averaged 13 and a half ppr points per game while like playing behind fucking craig reynolds you know like his coaches hated him and and earlier in the season this was my line was that the coaches hate him and that guys who get traded for a fourth round pick don't have ceilings all that often i still think that's true i could be totally burnt by all this swift stuff but he is the best running back on the team that's going to have the most efficient running game in the nfl Like the Eagles are, and which is not necessarily to to say that the Eagles will produce the most expected points at running back because Jalen Hurts is going to take so many of those with the goal line rushes. But it if Swift has, I don't know, 215 touches for this eagles offense i think his chances of matching miles sanders point total actually really swift is a very similar bet to tony pollard in the context of just really betting on efficiency and betting on efficiency is something i'm more comfortable with as the fantasy football market has gotten better this is something we talked about really early on in the preseason gretch has made this point sean has made this point but the market has gotten so much better at projecting touches and valuing playing time correctly that Mm -hmm. actually betting on talent is one of the edges that there is right is that is that betting on guys to score fantasy points over expectation is actually a way to win and i think there are smaller scenarios than i did three months ago of him being like unstartable week to week it might be more of a frustrating role where some weeks you are getting you are eating a couple, you know, 6.5 points or whatever like his role is more like what it was in Detroit in the in the back half of last season where it was really inconsistent. He was losing goal line work to Jamal Williams. He was losing some long down distance stuff to Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson and this scenario it would be Kenneth Gainwell. But I do think and also the Eagles like are not a dumb team. Like they right. they're going to use DeAndre Swift the right way, I think.
1: I actually – we've we've talked about a number of guys that I like better in managed, um, even though I also really like them at best ball. He's one I like more in best ball. I because agree. Because it's like – you know, it's an efficiency bet, but it's an efficiency bet that is unlikely to be combined with elite volume at any point. Like even on the receiving side, I don't know that he's going to consistently see like elite receiving volume. He's, um,
0: he's going to get like 15 touches a game in a good season, Never, never 20. Yeah,
1: never 20. Um, and not even like a stretch, like you know, you can tell yourself with certain guys, like you yeah. know, Gibbs, right? Probably similar bet, but maybe he is, he is getting 20 touches down the stretch. That's not really ever going to happen with Swift. Um, so, the other concern with me with Swift from like a, a starting, you know, a starting lineup, set your lineup type of league is I don't know that the Eagles are going to be like committed all season toward, you know, getting Swift, the touches that like he needs. Cause it's their running game. It's like, don't screw this up. You know, like we've, we've got the passing game. Like it's time for us to run the ball and take advantage of, you know, these defenses that can't account for the running back because they have to deal with Jalen hurts as a rusher and Jalen hurts as a passer. So just kind of do your job. And if Swift is like screwing that up the way he did in Detroit, then I do think he will, just see less volume that's but that's, that's not to why say you won't see a ton of vol- like not that he won't see enough volume it'll just be a that's little That's why just- I still like Gainwell because I still like Gainwell too yeah Gainwell
0: Gainwell is the one who is not going to screw up Gainwell is going to be the one I mean he played more snaps than Miles Sanders in the Super Bowl it's it's yeah. not going to turn into yeah. like a ton of high value touches for Gainwell I don't think but Gainwell Like, I think if I had to bet week one, I would bet Gainwell to play the most snaps um, for the Eagles in their first game. So, like, I I actually think every Eagles running back is good at cost now that we know Trey Sermon is on the practice squad and Boston Scott's probably a healthy scratch. So, like, I just think I think all of them are fine. I think drafting two of them on the same team like we did last night is completely fine. I prefer Swift and Penny or Penny and Gainwell. But I, I have a team in a main event that has Gainwell and swift i don't like i think these are fine bets to make and i think you will obviously get a lot more information in season that will help us make those start sits, but i agree all three of them are better in best ball because you just are not gonna have to think about it
1: yeah that said though i mean swift like paid off i think we got him at the four or five turn in the nfc in 2021 and he was just an absolute smash for us like to get him there and you are get to get him at like the seven, eight type of range in drafts, like behind a better offensive line on a better offense.
0: Yeah. He's really good.
1: He's really good. So it is a simple bet. Um, <clears throat> I want to be overweight. All the Eagles running backs. I agree with you on that, but he's, he's the one that I'm most confident in just like turning in that, that amazing so,
0: fantasy. Piece. So Gainwell is my most drafted player overall on underdog because I think he's the best bet at cost. I only have 5% penny because I was totally out on him when he was a ninth round pick. I'm taking him more now. And I am up to only 6% swift. Cause I was late to it. Cause mm. early on in the process, I was a, aren't you worried bro about his coaches hating him. And I have, I have changed my tune. I've remained Bayesian on, uh, on that one. All right. So your final league winner is whom
1: Jalen Warren. Got to take yeah. this conversation on okay. Najee Harris full circle here. You guys talked about him as the least explosive running back in the NFL. Uh, a guy who was touted as kind of this difference-making receiver, that he was going to be someone you could line up and have him run routes like a wide receiver. Um, he has just not been impressive at all as a receiver. He's very been very inefficient. He did have that one massive target game from Ben Roethlisberger, but that's not really – who he is, and I think that's been made clear that the Steelers understand that because Jalen Warren came for his third down roll last year. And Jalen Warren actually is profiling as someone that we want to be excited about as a receiver. ESPN has these uh, metrics that I've referenced open score a few times. They have an overall receiver rating. Uh, Christian McCaffrey finished first in that last year. And then Austin Eckler and Jalen Warren were tied for second in that metric. Warren is more explosive than Naji. He's smaller, but he's two hundred and fifteen pounds, so he is not a small, undersized receiving back. He's actually like a kind of a bowling ball. You know, he's he's short. He's really short. But
0: I do think he's, I he's want you to enough. finish your I want you to finish your point. But because I've got a whole screed on on Jalen Warren, so continue your continue your point.
1: Well, so with Jalen Warren, I think what you're basically getting is the same bet that we've made in the seventh and eighth round for years on Alexander Madison and Tony Pollard. But you're getting it at a discount to those guys. Ben Tate. (laughs) Yeah. You're getting it at a discount to those players. And I think you're getting more standalone value than we ever got with Madison. Um, It's probably more similar to Pollard. And I I don't think he's taking the job. I don't think he's going to displace Najee Harris as the starter. I wish he would, because I think it'd be very fun, but I don't think it's going to happen. But I, what I do think could happen is there's a few games this year where Harris doesn't play. And Warren is one of the easiest starts that we have all year. Warren is the cover of, you know, DFS articles. Warren is someone everyone's loving to, to be putting in their lineup that week. Um, if that's more than a couple games, if it's a long stretch, then, I think he's going to be an absolutely league winner. But even at cost, like if you get three, four awesome starts out of Warren, plus some standalone value along the way, just kind of a no-brainer um, with, the, with the upside that he brings.
0: So Warren to me is less of a Pollard bet where Pollard was always about the efficiency. Like I think Warren can be efficient, but he's not like a giga athlete, right? No, to he's or- not. 210 pounds, um, 4.540. Like he is a right about average athlete. Actually, Najee is if you just look at measurable stuff, is more athletic than him. But what Jalen Warren is, I actually think it's kind of like Tank Bigsby, and it's funny because they're going right next to each other, mm-hmm. where it's a bet against the deficiencies of a starter. Now, I disagree with the market on the ETN efficiencies. I think ETN's role grows this year versus shrinks, whereas I think Najee's role is more likely to shrink. The nut outcome for Jalen Warren is that Najee gets CEH'd where in year 3 the team decides like yeah. we can't just we can't just give you these carries because we spent a first round pick on you like we act like we got to win games like it's it's enough already and we already saw i mean Najee had 95 targets as a rookie and then his role in the passing game really diminished in year 2 and the Najee truthers will say well he had this foot injury all year so that's why he was so inefficient I don't know if I buy that. I think it, it feels kind of convenient. Maybe it's true. Maybe Najee Harris is this year's Josh Jacobs. I am personally really betting against that. But Warren is actually more so than someone like Pollard. I would feel extremely confident in him basically being able to be a workload guy. His final year at Oklahoma State, he transferred from Utah State because Utah State had um, guys who they wanted to give the ball more to. And Utah State is just like a kind of like a shitty, weird college football team um so so it's it, it, it's kind of hard to explain why that's so weird but his final year at oklahoma state 256 carries 25 receptions in the passing game he like was far and away uh you know their their most used player um i believe he led the big 12 in rushing that year uh no he was so he was behind abram smith and Brees hall so not exactly the worst guys to be behind but i think he will be a honestly just like a better version of Najee harris like just a guy who doesn't get so many negative plays a guy who's able to get five yards instead of three yards and it's a contingent bet on Najee getting hurt because they don't have a third running back they like at all um so that's that's that is i think a huge part of it like these teams where there's three backs that the team kind of likes then the contingent value gets a little bit murky um, like for example, we're going through it with the Dolphins right now, where they cut Miles Gaskin. They just—you probably missed this—but Jeff Wilson Jr. just got put on IR, so it's like it's it's a chain. And moster, but they don't hate Savan Ahmed. I mean, they've kept Ahmed on the team throughout this whole process of like maybe we trade for Jonathan Taylor. Like they don't hate Ahmed. So even with Jeff Wilson Jr. injured, it's not exactly clear. For the Steelers, it is super clear that if Najee Harris were to get injured. Jalen Warren would be a don't think about it, unquestioned. You plug him in, then there's some chance of standalone value. In a way, that Jalen Warren had a little bit of standalone value last year because he was he right. ended up he ended up playing so many snaps because they just couldn't trust uh they just couldn't trust Najee Harris. I mean, to end the year, I, I know this sounds this sounds like nothing, but he got 12 PPR points in week 15, and he got 13 PPR points in week 13, which is like not nothing. You know, it, it it's not it's not a lot, but it's not nothing. it's it's sort of uh 2020 Naheem Heinsey.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a nice addition to your fantasy team to have that in your back pocket if it also doubles as a league winner if he were to displace Najee, which again I don't think he'll do, but like he is probably the better running back. <laughs> like all evidence, all NFL evidence says he's the better running back now he wasn't a first round pick in fact he wasn't drafted you know he wasn't this this high end recruit but i mean i care a lot more about what the nfl sample has shown us and i think the steelers are starting to care about that too they they're they're openly talking about how they want to get Warren more involved so you know i don't think it's completely nuts to think that it is at least possible
0: well that they're Warren, actually they're actually to doing or something they're actually doing the. I think the lady doth protest too much. Where like every press conference, Mike Tomlin's like, "Najee is our guy. Stop asking." You know, like Jail, Jalen <laughs> Warren rips off another long touchdown run, and he's got to reiterate how much they like Najee Harris.
1: There's in my Discord, there's a uh, Steelers fan who's been just saying, "Dude, you are underestimating how stubborn Tomlin is." And I think you know that's probably a big part. No, no,
0: of, like, I I think Tomlin is not stubborn. Tom, they they. All right fucking Clay Clay Chase Claypool scores 11 touchdowns as a rookie and they just like they're done with him I don't think I don't think Tomlin is that stubborn
1: I think he he's he thinks that Tomlin has his guys and then maybe Najee's one of his guys but you know I would I would
0: buy that I would buy that
1: even if Najee is one of his guys you know you do still have the massive contingent upside. And I think the point you made about them not having a running back three that they like is really big. So it's one of the reasons I do like tank Bixby because I like ETN, but I think Bixby is so clearly the number two and those spots that aren't ambiguous. That's like, Hey, I held, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn all season in case Rashad White got hurt. And Oh, it was Sean Tucker, <laughs> you know, like you right. don't want that. It's such, it's actually like a big missed opportunity. And, Um, Anthony,
0: Anthony McFarland has been a Pittsburgh Steeler since 2020. He's got 42 carries. They do not, they do not, they do not like him. They do not like him. And I wonder even who I'm sure, I'm sure they have a running back on their practice squad. Let's see if it's anyone that they like. No, they don't even have a running back on their practice squad right now. Now, now rosters are still in flux. um, But as of right now, they don't even have a running back on their practice squad. They'll probably claim someone, but it's 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 a two-way backfield let's let's i i would maybe even project a 70 30 split to to start the year with the ability to go to 60 40 with the ability to go to 50 50 snap
1: wise that's not even where it was it was was 66 percent of the snaps last year for for harris like i think i think 60 40 to be honest that's that's what i would expect to start the year is like 60 40 snap wise now maybe touches goes more to harris because some of warren's snaps are going to be passing snaps um but just, you know, so touch wise, maybe it breaks out more like 70, 30, but, but snaps, I think probably 60, 40 to start. Yeah.
0: And if Najee loses that receiving work, that was sort of buoying his fantasy value, like even keeping him in the silent killer range versus like very out loud killing you, uh, (laughs) you know, like very noisily killing you, like, like horror movie murder level, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, look, we've, we've been in this situation a billion times. This is Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones. This is Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. This is Clyde Everett layer, Isaiah Pacheco. Like we we've all seen these scenarios where the older trusted veteran running back just gets slowly phased out because they can't do it anymore. And I guess it's crazy to say that about Najee as 24 years old or whatever. I mean, Dagle has that stat. He says on all these podcasts, that's so good, which is that if you go back to the beginning of his career, uh at alabama less than four percent less than four percent of Najee harris's runs have gone for over 20 yards
1: it's, it's crazy man
0: it's nuts
1: the the biggest thing i see in defense of Najee harris is that he stiff arms dudes real well and like honestly but he's like, he, it's but like he dude stiff- imagine jalen warren doing this and it's him stiff arming a guy the guy hanging to his arm like i'm pretty sure he fell over like two but yards that, that's that the problem
0: arm. is that naji does the stiff arm or the hurdle and then immediately goes down like some yeah. like a lot of the guys who do that they keep going <laughs> after the stiff arm or the hurdle you
1: know <laughs> yeah don't you know he's got a great stiff arm yeah
0: i mean look i w- we could fucking eat it on naji harris the, the the path to being wrong about naji harris is that tomlin is stubborn and that The passing game volume totally stays there. And that last year's poor efficiency was related to the foot injury. It's possible. I don't think it's the most likely.
1: No, it's not. I I think it's just he scores a bunch of touchdowns on an improved offense. That's how we eat it. It's that he just scores a bunch of touchdowns. They give him the goal line work and we're like, shit, it's tough to, it's tough to beat a guy when he scores, you know, 15 rushing touchdowns or something.
0: Who is the player? Who is the player you are most worried about? Owning you this year, we can end on this.
1: Uh, there's a couple guys that I feel like I just like never fully got on board with, and one of them's Damian Pierce. I think in the sixth rounds of like best ball drafts and stuff, this running back who I think is pretty good. Like I don't think Pierce is bad. I think Pierce is not great, but I think he's not. You know, he's definitely not bad. He he's very elusive. He makes dudes miss. He does seem to like have a homing beacon for the next defender and run into them, but he's still, he's still pretty, like, he's got that kind of um, you know, that burst in that, that like chunk play type of profile where he's going to, I think regularly rip off, you know, solid gains. Like that's kind of who he is. And now he's going to get receiving work on top of that. And he's not that expensive. It does feel a little Josh Jacobsy. Where it's like, hey, they just play this pretty good guy for all the snaps and he catches passes now. And you aren't didn't you, take him you, in the fifth or sixth round.
0: Aren't you worried about Devin Singletary?
1: No, I am not worried about Devin Singletary. I think Devin Singletary is like a full on backup. Like he yeah, might not I, see the field at all.
0: I've got 15% Damian Pierce on underdog. I think he was going in a I'm wide jealous. receiver. He was going in the wide receiver dead zone. I think he pro- his most likely scenario is a silent killer season where he scores 15 points a bunch of the time and doesn't really mm-hmm. move the needle one way or the other. But if he fucking runs the ball 270 times and gets 50 catches, he's so this year's Josh Jacobs. And it, it's all contingent on Stroud being like a C-plus NFL quarterback and i don't know i think he could do that i mean the texans might be terrible and these might all just be wasted teams where i'm getting like nine points from damian pierce every week on 18 carries but he i he's got like the least competition of any young running back in the league like even like jk dobbins has like more competition than him you know
1: yeah and i i'm at three percent on underdog but i have a fair amount of them in high stakes stuff that's where i was like, like i think i'm I think you I get this to balance wrong. it out there. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hedge a little bit with high stakes stuff. So he's, he's probably the guy who concerns me. Is one, is someone I ended up fading and I don't even view as like a, a clear fade. You know how that sometimes happens?
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, mine is actually really terrifying. It's, it's Garrett Wilson because I have just been so staunch on taking uh on, on taking Devonte adams that i only have four percent garrett wilson because i just take adams over him and in the first round i take cd over him so it has just resulted in me getting very little of garrett wilson and garrett wilson can totally be breakout year uh, breakout year Devontae Adams. So the first year, I guess the second year that Devontae Adams was really good with the Packers, which would have been, it's crazy to think about, but it's 2018 because he was so bad for so long. Uh, but 111 receptions, 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, like Garrett Wilson could totally do that. And I, I mean, he could be the number one scorer at, at skill position players and, and I would just get spit roasted.
1: Why aren't you mixing him in more?
0: Well, you know, I mean, part of it's ideological. Like, I, I think the market is so wrong on this Devontae Adams stuff. Like, I just want to punish yeah. the market for being irrational, of being like, aren't you worried about Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, I'm not really. Like, he's Devontae Adams, you know?
1: Yeah, that's fair. I, I like, I'm overweight on both. But it's, who am I? I'm, oh, it's Chubb. I don't take Chubb. <laughs> I, don't I don't take, I well, I don't up.
0: take, I don't take Chubb either. But also, I'm so ideological that sometimes I take Pollard at the wrap. So I have 18% Mm. Pollard because I just take him all the time.
1: Yeah, that's – I'd rather be there. I think I'm more like 10% Pollard. Yeah, I'm a 10% Pollard, which I I wish I was more. But it's tough. I think it's a weird year where the second round, the early second round is awesome, and the late second round sucks, and the third round kind of sucks, and – then I start to like the fourth rounds, but then the fourth round dries up quickly. And by like four 11, it's basically the seventh round, <laughs> like this, like the sixth, the sixth round and the, the early fifth round are almost like indistinguishable. And I think that's why you've seen guys like Pickens rock it up so much. And we saw Deontay Johnson, rock it up. Johnson went from like a, a late sixth, uh, early seventh to like an early fifth. And there's yeah. like, how could this D- happen? It's like, D- well, because none of these players are different from each other. Dotson, yeah.
0: Yep. Like, I totally see an argument for taking Jahan Dotson ahead of Brandon Ayuk, who's like the first pick of the fifth sure. round. Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go, man. There's the league winners. There's the guys who can uh, who can beat us. Uh, what I guess what is coming up before the beginning of the season on Legendary Upside, and then what is the uh, in season content schedule going to be like?
1: So I'm working right now on an article that's going to be um, the legendary scenarios for running backs in the early dead zone. Um, And that should be out uh, Friday morning. So I'm going to just be finishing that up today and then getting that out. And then uh, the in-season schedule will be uh, the walkthrough that that I did last year, my my weekly preview column. Uh, That'll come out late Thursday night, early Friday morning. Um, and it's like, uh, you know, game by game preview using some advanced stats that's designed to sort of like be broadly applicable for like setting lineups or DFS, or I'm just trying to like figure out what's going to happen on the football field. This is basically the point of the, the column. So that'll be the in-season schedule. Um, hopefully I'll have a week one walkthrough. Uh, I am moving to San Diego and then going to Vegas on Wednesday. So the week one walk is uh, it's questionable for week one, but I I think I'll be able to get it out. And then that'll be starting week two for sure. Um, that'll be my my weekly content for everyone over at Legendary Upside. Um, and yeah, best ball rankings still updating daily if you're trying to squeeze in those last those last drafts.
0: I mean, of course, of course we are. We are, I mean, I I got uh I have eight left on underdog. Um, I've got nine left on DraftKings, and I've got like fifty left to do on drafters. So we we gotta we yeah we you know we're we're well my plan now is I'm gonna finish Underdog I'm gonna finish DraftKings and then I'm gonna spend Monday Tuesday and Wednesday like five tabling on Drafters that is that is my current plan um all right everyone there's your league winners we will uh, be back tomorrow.